Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Game Store Profits. My name's Luke Navarro, and with me is my co-host, Mike Perna. Hi, Mike. Hey, Luke. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. Not much. It's interesting that uh, you know we're starting a new show here. For those of you who maybe are coming over from one of our older shows, uh, I'm the host of a couple of different podcasts, Guys Can Read, and some of the spinoffs from that show. And Mike, you have a podcast as well. I have a podcast that sadly has kind of gone by the wayside because the story that this podcast were tied to has kind of gone on hiatus while I write the book that is going to come, that's kind of birthed from those stories. But yes, I did have a podcast and it was me acting foolish for 10 minutes at a time. Well, you have an internet following. How about that? I do have an internet following and it disturbs me the fact that there are people from all over Doesn't the it, though? Doesn't all it? over the world who are curious. I have guys who tweeted me from like New Zealand asking me when I'm going to write more stories and that's weird. I tell you, people mention things to me and I think I I don't know you, but it's cool <laughs> that you know me. That's awesome. So Mike, we're both out there, we're doing our thing, enjoying uh our podcast, our websites. And yet we have a deeper passion, and one that you and I have talked about lots of times that we wanted to somehow bring into our geeky lives, and that is our faith. Absolutely. And Luke, when you, you originally suggested this, it was shortly after we had pretty much done the first time that I showed up on Guys Can Read, and we were talking about just the fact that we're both exceptional geeks. We've both spent time in ministry, so it's not even just two of us that are, you know, we love God. We do love God, but we've also spent some time in the trenches loving God. And a lot the, of time. Yeah. And the fact that we're the fact that we're geeks isn't like mutually ex- exclusive from the fact that we love God. But it's at the not, same time, it has been for me a somewhat of a rocky road trying to integrate my faith and my geeky passions, hobbies, ways, interests. Well, you're not alone in that. Part of the reason that I uh, really wanted to do this podcast and really got excited about this idea was the fact that I went to a convention called the Steampunk World's Fair. And while I was there, I met a lot of awesome people, some of them who I'd met the year previous. But uh, this particular year, I met a young woman who... Uh, I heard about and she's part of, a, you know, we have a mutual friend and everything like that. But she looked at me and said that I have a really hard time coming to things like this because it's hard for me to be comfortable both as a Christian and somebody who participates in these what a lot of people consider to be like a sub genre, a subculture that isn't necessarily God friendly. Yeah, and it goes both ways, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, Sometimes it seems like the geek world isn't too friendly to conversations about God. And sometimes the Christian world, and Mike, I come from an evangelical background, and uh, it isn't always friendly to the geek world. In fact, it can often be sometimes um, pretty antagonistic. I would go way past pretty antagonistic. I've had a lot of uh, interesting conversations, but very passionate conversations with people who pretty much accuse me of anything from, you know, doing something that's a little bit weird 
all the way to calling me a heretic and, you know, worried about if I'm leading their children into demon worship. So, I mean, it's, it has a lot of stigma. Yeah, there are plenty of people who look at the books on my shelves or look at the things that I post or talk about uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on my podcast and say, hey, could this guy possibly be a Christian? And I am. (laughs) I'm a passionate God follower. And we want this show to be about that integration, that, that common ground between the geek lifestyle and Christian spirituality. Uh, But Mike, I think before we move on, we probably should nuance this just a little bit and talk about what we mean when we say we're geeks, because it's a big Uh. word now. It's, you know, you can be a coffee geek. You can be a Lego geek. What kind of geek are you, Mike Perna? I, you know, I've I've tried to, to label that, and it's such a weird thing because I... I I try to put myself in little boxes and they none of the boxes really work to hold everything. So I consider myself a geek of all trades. All right. Uh I I'm definitely I I I'm drawn to story. Okay. Which is why you and I really started to connect when we first started talking is the fact that I will go to anything that has a cool story that interests that interests me that I think pushes pushes people to places that they wouldn't go to naturally. I am into that, which is why it pushes me into tabletop games, it pushes me to video games, it pushes me to fantasy, where whole worlds are being created. So, I'm a story geek, and I'm a geek of all trades. You know, I, I'm similar in the sense that I am absolutely a story geek. Uh, my my time spent in both uh, college and seminary was, was spent studying the stories of scripture. Uh, my background is in, uh, Bible is literature and that's what gets me excited. Bible stories and all kinds of stories because I believe in the power of narrative. I believe that through storytelling, we can change lives. And so for me, I'm a huge book geek. Uh, I love books. I host a, a book review podcast called guys can read and I'm a video gamer. Um, I love video games and I am interested in the connection between narrative and video games and what it means to play out a story as a character in a video game. Uh, and I'm also a, uh, a gamer, a tabletop gamer when I get the opportunity. I don't get the opportunity as often as I would like because I do have a life that is, um, <laughs> that does tend to get getting in the way. Uh, I am a, a dad to two daughters. I've been married for, Oh, a long time. Uh, In terms of my background, uh, I graduated from uh, Bible college, went on to seminary at Dallas Seminary, finished there. I was a pastor for 13 years. Uh, I've been a youth pastor, I've been a staff pastor, and I've been a senior pastor. And so when Mike says that we've been in the trenches, uh, we certainly have. And we are passionate about our faith, and we are passionate about our geekiness. We are passionate about our games. We are passionate about our books and our stories. And uh, we want to try a little experiment here on the Game Store Profits podcast and see if we can find that uh, that common ground. Well, the, the big thing is uh, I, I literally just had a moment yesterday uh, with one of the kids from our youth group, and we were talking about Harry Potter. We were talking about uh, going to 
different conventions. I think she was talking about Comic Con and Otacon and all that stuff. Right. And I've said I've said that I've been to Comic Con and all that stuff. Well, at one point she just looked at me, and I've been talking with this girl for a while now, but we haven't had a lot of time to just sit down and talk about this stuff. And she just looked at me and said, "Perna, you're you're awesome." And I go, "Okay, well, why is that?" And she said, "You're you're older, and you're, <laughs> and and you're a geek." And I looked at her, and I just started dying of laughter. And but it, but I realized, I said. A lot of times there are a lot of, especially kids, but not just kids, adults too, who feel this weird alienation that they're weird or they're, they don't have a place because they're a geek. And if nothing else, that's what I want to see happen through our little discussions here is that I want just to put this out on the, on the airwaves, to put it out there for people to know that it is okay that there are other people like this. You are not like Ezekiel out there saying, I'm the only one left. And, you know, we we don't need to feel that way. There are lots of us out there that we don't necessarily see. And if we're going to be that voice of rebel radio out there to say, hey, you can be a geek and still love Jesus, then I'm all for it. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. So you mentioned Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, in the public eye right now, the final movie. Uh, came out today. In fact, as we're recording this show, I I mentioned- drove past a I drove past a movie theater, and they were lined up around the block waiting for the next showing. You mentioned Comic Con, going on next week. Also, big time geek culture in the news. Hmm. Uh, but I think we're going to start off with a slightly different topic. This we time are going. Around. We, well, when we first came up with this, we decided that we were going to start off with probably. The one that's either going to bring in a lot of listenership or just or done. kill the podcast immediately. It, it, it's going to be the portal to nowhere. We're embracing the go big or go home mentality here, folks, because we're going to talk about the biggest, possibly the biggest issue out there when it comes to geekiness and Christianity. And that is Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. The elephant in the room. Here we go. Uh, lovely. I love that. Okay. So, Mike Perna, yes, have you ever played the D and D? I have been playing D and D since I was sixteen. For those of you playing our home game, I'm just going to leave it at that. Was quite a long time ago. <laughs> I I play the game. I am a dungeon master for several games right now. I have a large collection of. I actually have a little treasure chest of miniatures sitting right next to me. Uh, I have more dice than I can count. This game has been a part of my existence for quite a while. How about you, Luke? <laughs> well, I'm like you in a sense. I was about 12 years old when I started playing D&D, and folks, that was when D&D didn't have numbers. Okay? Um, <laughs> Back in my day, the way we that's played right. D&D. We had paper, <laughs> and we had pencils, and we didn't have no little dolls to play with. Um, <laughs> and... So I played for a long time. I played through my high school years. Uh, And then, though, I became a Christian. And a great many well-meaning, faithful, loving youth pastors told me I had to stop. And so I did. And I stopped for 20 years. Not that long. 15 years. And... Finally, later, I've been a pastor for a long time now, I kind of stopped and realized, hey, wait a minute, I like D&D. 
it was fun back then. And 4th edition had come along, and Wizards of the Coast, the current publishers of D&D, were trying very hard to get some of us old players back in the game. And uh, I bit. And so I went back and started playing at my friendly local game store. And uh, so I am sort of an old-timer and a noob all over again. Well, that that's the beautiful thing about all these different editions, is that everyone has their favorite. Everyone can say... It's almost like, like wearing badges of honor. I was back in the day of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, well, I bought the red box when it first came out. Like, People all have their amazing things. And even when 4th edition came out, there's still people who yell and complain and are like, 4th edition is for, for you know little teenage girls who don't have anything better to do. Yeah, 3.5 is where it's at. But the thing I love about 4th edition, having been a person who's played consistently for a long stretch of time, is that it's really user-friendly. Like, it cuts away a lot of the weird, silly rules that they had and just makes it simple, yet without making it stupid, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It it was very accessible to me. In fact, part of the reason over the years why I didn't come back was because I thought, I don't want to look like an idiot. Well, I, I told some of the... I, I started playing with some high school kids. I started playing with some college kids who had heard about D&D, very excited about the concept, but had no idea how to play. And so I started playing with them, and at one point I actually looked at the kids and said, you know, you're getting in at a very exciting time. Because when I started playing this, in order to hit something, you needed to, like, get charts. And consult charts. Yeah. And, 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 and have, like, three books open just to see if you hit the thing. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, Mike, I, when I was younger, and I came to Christ, and my youth pastors told me I needed to stop praying. In fact, I had one youth pastor who literally set me aside and prayed for me, prayed over me, and encouraged me to renounce my playing of yes. Dungeons & Dragons. That was the world that I came up in. That was mm-hmm. the faith that I came to know. You're working with youth now. I am. And I'm sure that you probably have a few parents who wouldn't mind if you set some of their kids aside and prayed over them and told them to renounce their Dungeons and Dragons. As as I said, I am currently DMing over two separate games, one of them with a group of college kids and one of them with a group of high school kids. In both games, I have had to preempt these games by having serious discussions with the parents of the fact that uh, I, I still take the role as you know the guy who's kind of their spiritual leader here and i'm not leading them into demon worship that conversation has been an ever-present part of my life trying to do this and it just it just goes to show that there's a lot of people who have no idea what this game is about or and and it's you know we're going to talk a lot about the people that we've experienced that have a lot of stigma against this game at no point do I want anybody who's listening to take that as we think these people are stupid. No, like or I said, we, they're all faithful, well-meaning, loving people who encourage me to not play. I know some absolutely wonderful people who are just adamant. I, my uh, my youth pastor's wife, we were just talking the other night, and I said that I'm playing with the kids. And she goes, you know, I just, I've just always had this thing about the fact that, you know, I just can't get away from the fact that so many people have told me that it's evil and wrong and leads to, you know, a lot of nasty spiritual things. And I said, 
You know, there's a lot of people going around with that. There's a lot of people that carry that. And for some people, it's a dangerous ground. And at no point do we want to belittle that. But at the same point, there are a lot of healthy, a lot of very accessible. And even I would say that it's a very challenging, very uh, inspiring sort of thing that you can get people into to cause creative thinking, to have people look outside the box, to question in a good way, not in a, in a, I don't think this is, but to literally step into this world knowing that everything that happens is on them, what they do, where they go. And not only that, but the consequences of those actions have weight. There have been times, even in the, the few times I've been playing, the high, the high school kids just started. And there was one time when a kid goes, I want to do this. And I looked at him and said, I'll let you do that. But if you decide to go that way, this is what you're going to have to deal with. And if you decide to do that, I will not hesitate to do that to you. I will not hesitate to bring about the consequences that that action would lead to. This this brings us to one of the themes, I think, that we're going to probably harp on on this show. Because I know it's a theme that has been significant for my life. And that is why... I read fantasy. Why do I play role-playing games? Even why do I play video games? And it comes back to this idea that we, through the stories that we experience, whether we are telling those stories or whether we are experiencing the stories through television, movies, books, or in a shared storytelling environment, because that's what D&D is. It's a shared storytelling experience. When we experience stories, what we're doing is we're rehearsing life. We are trying out relationships. Mm -hmm. We are experimenting to see what happens when we act a certain way, when we behave well, or when we behave terribly. We get to see how that unfolds when we play a role-playing game. You know, we see kids doing it all the time. I look at my daughters, and they are role-playing all the time. And it's a natural thing for a kid to do that because the kid is trying to figure out how to grow up and live in an adult world. We tend to push that aside as we become adults, but the process can be the same. Yeah, and there's there's definitely an aspect of that. There's there's also just the idea like a lot of people disassociate the the faith of the real world with the weirdness that can happen in a game. But a lot of, of what I bring out in my games is the fact that it's, it brings a lot of, of teaching opportunities into the lives of these kids that I'm ministering to. Because I sit there and I start, I start saying things like, hey, you have this moral problem. You have this thief over here and, and he's taking stuff from this house. Okay. But you have this other thing going on over here. The reason that you were sent here is happening over here. Do you take the time to take care of this problem that's in front of you, this thief that's that's clearly stealing, or do you go over there and do what you were called to do? Because you can only do one or the other. You can't do both. And kids are sitting there, and they have to wrap their minds around what, what to do here. What is the, the priority? What is the, the driving force? What is the, the even the philosophy behind where they're going and what they're doing? It makes them think the why, not just the what. Right. And 
And at least for my own faith journey, I got to tell you, that's a pivotal moment in my existence when I started not only just sitting there thinking about the what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do, but to really grasp the why I'm supposed to do something, the why I'm supposed to avoid certain things. That is what has what has formed my faith and what has made it as solid as it is today. Because once I establish the whys, then everything else just kind of falls into place. And a lot of the skills that I used to do that, I developed playing this game. Absolutely. Like I said, when we play the game, we practice life. And look, I'm not going to pretend like every game is a profound experience. But there is a great value to hanging out with a group of people and trying to make even a single decision together. Oh, yeah. Because all of a sudden you have to, you realize that you don't get to just do whatever you want to do. There are consequences. I, and the I, consequences I, I, might be that the person sitting right next to you thinks you're a jerk. I will tell you an exact instance in game. It was a couple weeks ago. I was playing with my buddies. We, we're, we are so hardcore into this. We have a name for ourselves. We call ourselves the group of eight. The group of eight. We were playing our game. And the guy running the game put us in the situation where we had to pick one of about six different roads. I swear to you, if it weren't for the fact that we all love each other dearly, somebody <laughs> somebody was going to get knocked out <laughs> because we had so many discussions. Let's pick. Let's pick. Well, the at south. least he didn't give you eight roads. Yes, there's always there can always be more choices and more awful things. At least this way, you had to have at least a plurality. Yeah. But uh, no, it was it was interesting because we're and it, it oddly enough, as we're sitting there discussing which road we should take, one of the guys decided he was going to poke the statue, which literally brought about a green light that was about to end the world. So, <laughs> so then it, it no longer became which road are we taking to? Let's just run. <laughs> well, Mike, we talked a little bit about some of the positive attributes that we see and that we've experienced gaming. Mm-hmm. Playing D and D, playing any kind of role playing game, really. Right. What about those folks who come along and say, "Hey, wait a minute. What about the negative things here? Are you opening doors to dark places? Uh, how how do you respond to that?" A lot of what I I bring up when I talk to people about that aspect of the game is is that a lot of the the things that they're worried about. One, if if you trust the people that you're playing with. And cause, cause this game, there are parameters that are set up by like the different modules you can buy and the things that you do, but it's pretty much bounded by the people that are playing. The decisions that are made are made by the players. The situations that the players find themselves in are generally created by the game master, the dungeon master, the game master, whatever you want to call him, the guy who's running the game. He sets up the situations, he sets up who goes where and what happens. So, yeah, there is a potential for a guy, a guy who has seriously bad intentions to set up a horrible game. But again, I'm not that guy. I wouldn't tell anybody to go play a game with a guy like that. And if they were, if they found themselves in a game like that, I'd tell them to leave. It's not that serious a situation. Yeah, I have never once in my entire experience as a gamer, come across any gaming group that didn't just want to have a positive experience. 
No, I, you know, I, a lot of the people that I talk to, especially the parents who are scared to death of what I'm doing with their children, a lot of them have pointed back to sometime in their past where they got involved in a game and it was they the stories that I've heard about things that have gone on in D and D games. I would be terrified for my kid if I experienced that. But m- like many other situations in life, it, you're bounding an entire system on one experience. Now, granted, I don't want to downplay that experience. It was bad. <laughs> but at the same point, not every game is like that. And I think the point that you're trying to make here is that it's not the game, it's the friendships. It, it's the people involved. It's the people. Yeah, it, the, the, the good, the bad, and the indifferent parts of this game have little to do with the game itself. The, the game itself is a little bit of game theory matched up with a little bit of, of basic arithmetic. It's, you know, and then throw in some dragons for fun. Right. That, that's, that's what the game is. The pros, the cons, the scary, and the wonderful are all tied into who you're playing it with. And if you're in a bunch of people who, especially if you get into a a group of people who love God, you get into that situation and you have nothing to worry about because you understand that everybody in this group loves God, wants to follow God, wants to do, wants to bring glory to God. So the decisions that we make. They don't stop being affected by that. Even the stuff that, you know, in-game, in there are some times when you play things that you wouldn't do in reality. And this is a major point that I usually talk about, is you have to be able to distinguish between what is fiction and what is reality. And if that line is even slightly blurred, you need to step away from the table. That doesn't just apply to D&D, though. No, that, applies, that applies to a lot of games. Uh, the big one that causes a lot of people both a lot of joy and a lot of heartache is World of Warcraft. A game I, stepped that I, away from, I stepped away from World of Warcraft. I stepped away a couple times. Because it, it became was, too interesting. It, it became a life-sucking sort of situation right. for me. And at one point I said, no, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I need to step back. But there was one point where a guy that I played with, at one point he looked at me and he just gave this really just this heart-rending sigh. And I'm like, what, man? What's going on? And he looked at me, he says, in Warcraft, I'm powerful, I'm rich, and I have a girlfriend. And I knew where he was going. What he's saying is, is that his life in Warcraft is better than his real life. And at that point, I looked at him and said, you need to uninstall this game from your computer right now. You need to step away and stop playing this. Because the minute you say that your real life is worse than a video game, you need to work on a lot deeper issues than pixels on a screen. Yeah. But as you said, that could, that same dynamic can play out in a hundred different ways. And uh, not just with games. When a man thinks that, you know, he's more accepted at work work than he is at home. Mm -hmm. When a a person decides that they're going to spend a little bit too much of their time focusing on their investments. Mm -hmm. And and trying to buy and sell at just the right moment. 
these are anything that becomes an obsession is frankly wrong. It's a problem right. and it needs to be dealt with. But in terms of gaming as a hobby, gaming is something that we enjoy doing. I think that there is the good of it far outweighs any potential negatives. And for the average person who's maybe doesn't have a group, man, I would love to have a group of eight believers that I could play D and D with. Oh yeah. But I don't. <laughs> I'd the like guy, to have a group of eight people that I could play D and D with on a regular the, basis, but I don't. The, the guys that I play with, and it's funny because I mean, I'll probably point this to them and say, Hey guys, I mentioned the group of eight in the podcast. You should come and listen. And, uh, but we have religious discussions. They all know that I'm a minister. I've known some of these guys since I was like eight. I've and some of these guys I've gotten to know through this game. The the game was happening before I got there, and they're like, "Hey, we need another guy. We need a healer. Can you step in and play a healer class?" And I said, "Sure." And these guys have become really good friends of mine, really close friends of mine, because every other week to like at least once a month. We gather together at my buddy's place and we just play for like six or seven hours. And I, th- I think that's significant. I think we need to, to point that out. And that is, there is a real fellowship that happens over the gaming table. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a way that, that I think is, is pretty well unlike just about anything else. And I think it comes back to that shared storytelling experience. And really, it's just a shared crafting experience you're doing something together you're making something together and the game is designed such that there can be pretty extreme moments it is a game where there is a good deal of risk there is a good deal of reward Mm -hmm. and because of that uh there are some it's sort of built in with bonding moments oh yeah and so i think that one of the reasons why people flock to gaming is because it's a community. You know, there is a community at the, uh, the, the friendly local game store. Oh, absolutely. We all want, we all seek to be known. We all seek to have somebody who cares about us and who, you know, to whom it's important whether we show up or not. And, yeah. you know, that is a need that, that everyone faces, and I think that, you know, as a church, we we try to fill that need, but we need to recognize that we're not going to fill that need for everybody. And as people kind of go out and try to find somebody who can they, they can hang out with, somebody who understands them, somebody who thinks like they think, for those of us who are believers to be out there in those places is vitally important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, too, because, you know, a lot of people think that they have to to hide their faith when it comes to this. At no point have I ever hidden who I am and what I do. Uh, I mean, even when I, I first started playing with these guys, I played I played a dwarf cleric because I and I, I started with a tagline that says, because I find it fitting that I'll be playing a stocky holy man. <laughs> and. And the guys love it. And we end up talking. And it's funny, too, because the way I rolled my character, I'd never played a cleric before that moment. So I didn't know what was important. And I found out that my guy was an idiot. He didn't know anything. 
He was really good at his job, but he was horrible at knowing anything. And so what I found out was is that the warlock knew more about my religion than I did. But that actually became part of the game. It became part of the story. And then even that stuff bleeds out into real life where I said, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are, are preaching who don't know what they're talking about. There's a lot of people who don't understand how much work is involved in the study, how much work is involved in knowing this stuff, because people are going to expect you to know it like that. And they're like, wow. <laughs> These guys are like, wow. And then we, and we do this as I'm, you know, somebody's asking me, hey, what is that, you know, red wheat for in this ritual? And I roll my dice and I say, I have no idea what that's used for. <laughs> so, I mean, at no point, you know, do I get to the, the place where I hide anything. No. I'm still me. Even though I'm playing a character, at, at my core, I'm still me. And so while I try to, because it's role-playing, I try to put myself in what my character would do. There's still, I can't get away from the fact that even though I'm playing a character, I'm still me playing that character. That's exactly right. And like I said earlier, I don't think I have ever seen a gaming group. I've never come into a gaming group and said, hey, I'm a Christian. And they said, go away. No, They've always they don't said, care. All right, that's fine. They they want to know what, what class you're playing. That's they right. don't care. They don't they, care. They about... want to know, are you a good player? Right. And and I don't mean are you a good player, are you skilled at the game, but are you a good person who will be fun to spend three hours with tonight? Right. Are you going to be a jerk, or are you going to, you know, hang out and play with us? Right. And so I think there's a huge opportunity there for believers to go out into the gaming stores and say, hey, I love this stuff. Let's play together. Because I don't think there's a better way to get to know somebody and to share your life than just saying, hey, let's play together. Well, when I first pitched the idea of of playing with some of our high school kids, I let I let some some people know about it, and I said, you know what, I I have the ability to have a bunch of teenagers hang out to share their life experiences with me for five and six hours at a shot. Now, I don't know how much time you've spent trying to wrangle a teenager. <laughs> The fact that you have them for five or six hours and you're not forcing them to be there for five or six hours is amazing. But these kids literally looked at the clock and said, we've been doing this for how long? Because they were so wrapped up in the stories we were telling. We were creating people. We were creating worlds. And I'm sorry. Let's do this. I'll bring it into. We'll bring the theology into this because I got to tell you. There is something wrapped up in the image of God, the image of a oh, creator no. God. Get me started, brother. I'll preach I, it. I, I will. I'll do <laughs> it. Let testify, Luke. Let's make this happen. Can I tell because, you something? Yeah. When we think of fantasy, and, and I know there's a lot of parents out there, there's a lot of people out there who think of fantasy. They think devils. They think demons. They think uh, just violence. They think uh, weirdness. They think strangeness. Can I tell you something? All of this, the fantasy tropes and all of these kind of things that this game is built on came out of the minds of Christians. Oh, yeah. Came out of people who said, we're going to tell these stories and we're going to take them out of our world because our world is screwed up and complicated and 
anytime you tell a story in our world, people are immediately going to be on the defensive. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create these, these worlds and we're going to fill them with all of these archetypal images that can represent good, evil, pain, life, love. And then we're going to tell stories in those worlds. And we're going to see what happens. And what ended up happening is that when people enter into these games, when people enter into fantasy, when people enter into to the Fae, if you will, we end up finding a world that is almost more pure than the world that is all around us all the time. Because the world that's all around us all the time is broken and fallen, and we live in it. And so we can't see it. And so when Tolkien was writing, he basically said of his world that it was our world, but without all of the boundaries and without all of the blockages that our world has. And so we could see more clearly. And when we tell stories, we see more clearly. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have to say that there, you know, I, I was asked at one point when, when I really, truly, you know, when I feel closest to God. Because when you're in ministry, you get asked these sorts of questions. Because people are trying to figure that out for themselves. And so they try to use you for like a guidepost. And so I, I looked at a number of people. It, granted, I didn't instantly come up with this. But after a lot of times thinking about it and pondering it, I came up with the fact that I feel closest to God when I'm writing, when I'm coming up with stories. That is when, when I feel closest to the God who created the universe, when I can sit down and say, let me speak, not into nothing like he did, but you know, into this, this hole in my imagination, and let's bring something into it. Let's bring together worlds. Let's bring together characters. Let's see how they interact. Let's come, let's do this. And there are times when I wonder if, you know, I, this is, you know, me being fanciful, just the idea of seeing God as our game master. Oh, I love it. I love it. Because, because when you, when you think about the, the role of the game master, the role of the dungeon master, whatever you feel like calling him, his role is not to see you in pain. His, his role is to see you create good stories. Absolutely. And so he will put you into challenging situations. He will put you into entertaining situations. He will put you into stuff that really gets at the core of you. And it, he will also put you into just he'll put you into danger if it makes you get into a better story. Right. And but it's you know, always it's always for the purpose of getting a better story and growing through that story. And it's not like a movie. It's not like even a video game. Because when we make the choices in our life to move against the story that God has created for us, just like a good DM, he can change the plot line. Oh, yeah. And he can guide us back to the story that he wants for us. The, I, having, I, I didn't spend a lot of time, when I was a kid, I didn't spend a lot of time being a DM, mostly because I didn't have the tools that are required. Right. But now that I'm coming back as an adult and I'm leading these games and I'm spending a lot more time running games, I've discovered that you know the, a lot of how we view our lives walking with God share a lot of the, the things that I do as a game master. Because if the guys choose this path, I have to be ready to set whatever's down that hallway in front of them. Right. At the same point, if I really want that to happen, but they choose to go down a different hallway, 
I can still take that stuff and put it down that hallway if I choose or not. I can leave it down that way and they might never see it. The deci- the whole idea of, of God placing us into the path that he wants us to, to give, to give the result that he wants. We can either do it quick and easy or we can do it long and painful, right. but we will always go where the game master wants us to go. His will will be done. Absolutely. I love, I love that image, man. I love the image of God as my game master. He, we are telling together, God and I, the shared story of my life. And there are times that I get it right. I roll well. And things go good. And there are times that I am in serious trouble. And I end up down the wrong hallway, like you said. And I have to find my way back home. And I, I, you know, God is still there to tell me that story. Well, He's there's, still there there's a lot. Me. There are a lot of ties that I, you know, as I'm as I'm rolling this over in my head, even as we're talking right now, there are a lot of ties to playing this game. And as you know, it makes sense because of the illustration you used earlier of practicing life. Because there are times when you like you come up with the best idea. You go, yes, this is perfect. This will fix this situation. This will get us in good with these guys over here. It'll take us out of danger. And then you roll your dice, and you roll a one. It was the perfect plan. It was what you should have done. But you rolled a one. And if you've ever played a game of D&D, you realize that when you roll a one, you fail. Right. And so even aspects of that have so much to do with like a normal Christian experience because sometimes we're like, yes, I'm doing what God has called me to I'm do. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm listening. I am looking for the signs. We are on the right path. Let's do this. And then the world comes to an end. Been there. And, been there recently, in fact. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's been there at some point or another. And if you haven't, wait a while because it will happen to you at some point or another. And just like in the game, you're not done. If you roll poorly, there's not a do-over, at least not until the next turn. <laughs> well, that's, you know, one of the beautiful things about this game is there is no do-over. There is only make another choice. Right. And there are no do-overs in life. We make our choices. We end up where we end up. But no matter where we are, God can find us. Right. And he can rebuild our story. And together we can retell that story and still come to that great heroic conclusion that we all want. Well, one thing that I absolutely love about the aspect of seeing our lives as a story, um, I, I'll i put a plug into him. I'll probably reference him quite a bit because I have a raging man crush on this guy. Uh, Donald Miller wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And the whole concept of the book is viewing your life as if it was a story. And if you have that mindset, if you have that perspective, how it changes the decisions that you make. And at one point, he the, the biggest thing that struck me was the whole idea of conflict. And if we see conflict, he, he, he brings it up almost like it's a movie. Because if you don't have any conflict in a movie, you're bored with the movie. There is no story. You without feel conflict, like you, there is no story. There is no story without conflict. And he says, if we started taking our own lives viewing them as the story that God was telling. If there is no conflict, there is no story. And God is a storytelling God. All you have to do is look not only at at the scriptures in themselves, which is riddled with story, 
but even in the lives of the faithful from, from the word go, if you read, you know, that's why I love doing church history because church history is filled with, with men and women who are just living for God. And folks, some folks who haven't read a lot of church history, you might think that you were reading scripture. Oh yeah. The same things just keep happening over and over and over again. And, and a lot of the church history stuff, you realize that sometimes they get it horribly wrong and sometimes they get it so brilliantly, brilliantly right. And it's the same person. And you realize that we're all doing this together. That we're walking on the shoulders of those who come before us who are walking on the shoulders of those who came before them. And so on and so on and so forth. That we've all been, since the very beginning, since the foundation of the world, we've been telling a story and we get to be a part of that. Uh, you and know, you- as you're talking, I, I kind of stop and I think, what is it that draws us to the game? What is it that draws us to role-playing games? What is it that draws us to video games? And it really is that we want to be the hero. Oh, absolutely. We want to be the one who can, who can deal with the problem. And sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes mm-hmm. we feel like, wow, we're so screwed up that we could, can't even deal with our own life, not to mention come to rescue the princess. You know what I mean? Mm. But in God's eyes... We're created in his image, no matter how far we might have fallen. We are heroes. We are holy. We are like his son. Mm-hmm. And we get to live that out when we do our life in the way of Jesus. Doesn't always work out, just like in a game. Doesn't always work out, just like in a, in a book or a movie. And... Sometimes and, it doesn't always work out, but it will. Ultimately. And going along with that, um, at no point do I want to, you know, forget the fact that there's there's different. For those of you who don't know game terminology, I'm going to talk about alignment. All right, Align, alignment in game terminology is whether you are good, whether you are evil, or whether you are in in fourth edition terms unaligned. These are not nearly as black and white as we'd like them to be. The way the game terminology works out is is that good characters are concerned about the welfare of others. Mm -hmm. Evil characters are not, you know, puppy kickers. They're not... (laughs) You can play them that way, but more often than not, evil characters are just looking at their own benefit. They don't care about other people. They want theirs, and that's all they're they're going to do. They will they will step on people to get what they want. And I have to say that that as much as there's times when you want to play the hero, you want to succeed. There are sometimes when playing a villain gives you insight right. into your own existence. There are times when I have played evil characters, and I know that kind of on in the initial gut reaction of a lot of listeners was probably going to be playing an evil character. There's no way you can be godly and play an evil character, but here's where I, I challenge you on that mentality. How many times does scripture talk about evil men? How many times are we given examples of not only what, you know, evil men do, but the, the effects of that. I'm sorry. When I play an evil character, and I'm picking fights, 
and I'm stealing from my buddies and I'm, you know, in the face of the law, bad stuff happens. There are times when I when I'm playing an evil character and I'll make a decision that this character will make, and I, I there have been times when I've just put my hand my head in my hands and say, Oh, I don't want to do this, but I totally would do this. Because I know what's coming. Right. And even in that simple act, there is still a story being told. There is still an aspect of revealing God's story. Well, I, and I think it's a beautiful picture. You know, you think about the first few chapters of Proverbs and all of the comparisons that go back and forth between the person who seeks out wisdom and the person who seeks out gold, or the pe- person who seeks out women, or the person who seeks out power. And it seems so enticing. It seems so easy. But ultimately, it ends up eating you alive. And you can play that in a game. You can experience that if you want to experience that. Uh, And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that games, books, story in general, allow us to see are the parts of us that we don't want to see. And I think that actually is a time that uh, kind of can kind of make a good transition, Mike, into what we want to do second here today. <laughs> uh, we thought it would be important for you to know who we are. I mean, we've given you a little bit of uh, a bio. Uh, we're both uh, been in ministry. We both uh, went to Dallas Seminary. We both are lifelong geeks. But we thought we'd get a little bit more into who we are, and we thought about how can we do that without just sitting here and talking about ourselves. And we figured since today we are talking about D&D, we would roll some characters. We and have inserted ourselves into the D&D into the game. world. Uh, and I think that, that for me, uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Go for uh, it. We started off, as, okay, we, typically when you do a Dungeons & Dragons character, you start with your class. But I'm going to turn it around a little bit. I'm going to start with my race. You just love to shout the, from the, the four winds that you're a dwarf. I am a dwarf, and I love <laughs> it. I love it because, I, I mean, look, anybody who knows me would say in a second that I'm a dwarf. I like to be <laughs> inside, in the dark, uh, and, and uh, I like to hang out with friends at the pub, and I am gruff, and I am kind of angry, and I'm also kind of big-hearted, <laughs> and kind of uh... I, you know, messy and just so dwarven. Um, but the character class that I chose is a rune priest. And I'll describe a little bit about what the rune priest does. The rune priest is the guy who knows the lore. He knows what all the runes mean. He knows how to put them together. And so he is a a fighter, he's an adventurer, but he spends a lot of his time, I imagine, in dwarven smithies, in dwarven libraries, seeking out old archaeological ruins to try to find more ancient runes, to understand ancient languages. And that's who I am. I love the old stories, whether it's biblical stories, whether it's folkloric stories whether it is fairy tales or early fantasy, that is my passion in life. But there's a, another side 
<laughs> to the, the side, the, the side that swings a giant hammer. And that's right. Is this isn't a character who hangs out in the background. This is a character who brings a big hammer and a lot of rage to the party. <laughs> and you know, Mike, you were talking earlier about this idea that we see in our ourselves sometimes more clearly in the game and even when we play a character who seems a little bit well not like us most people who know me would say that I'm a pretty pacifistic guy I don't often get into flame wars I don't I've never I haven't been in a fight since I was like 12 <laughs> I, I'm not a violent person I, I am anti-war I'm a- anti-violence in general right but I know something about me the reason why I'm such an active pacifist is because I understand what's inside me. And I know that when it came down to it, I'd be the guy who picked up the hammer and smashed heads. (laughs) And I say that with a bit of pride. And I say that with a bit of reticence. Because that's a serious thing. I understand who I am in terms of this anger and this sometime rage that can sometimes be a holy rage and sometimes not. And I think the rune priest really represents that. Because I could imagine a rune priest being a holy adventure, but I could also imagine a rune priest who's just had his family name kind of, you know, spoken down to one too many times and just going a little bonkers. <laughs> and smashing some things. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of who I am. So one one last thing about Luke Navarro, the D&D character. Thought real quick, I'll go through my abilities. And I think this is a little, um... I don't know. I, I feel a little weird about this, Mike. <laughs> uh, I feel a little, a little prideful and a little humiliated. And... <laughs> but, but here we go, okay? Strength, 14. Not bad. Big guy. Tough guy. And, uh, yeah. Constitution, 12. Kind of middling. Frankly, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty sickly dude most of the time. Dexterity, 10. No, I don't, I don't do dexterity. <laughs> okay? I don't dance around stuff. I, 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 don't, I don't move quickly. I, I, I don't run very well. Okay? Words are dangerous over short distances. <laughs> We're very fast over short distances. <laughs> Assuming the distances between the chair and the couch. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I often used to say when I was a child, uh, when I was a teenager, I, and I studied martial arts, and people would ask me, well, why do you study martial arts? And there were a lot of reasons, partly because it was fun, partly because my dad made me. But, you know, there's a fight-or-flight mechanic that's built into humanity. I'm slow. I can't fight, so I have to fight. And, uh, yeah, Dexterity, 10. Intelligence and Wisdom, 16. It's who I am. I study. I teach. And uh, Charisma, 11. Because <laughs> um, I'm not the most personable person. I am the guy who is the rune priest who wants to stay in the library. Um, I've <laughs> been a preacher for a long time. Uh, I literally had to teach myself how to be extroverted enough to be a preacher. Um, and to interact with the congregation and to do all those things that 
that a pastor does. Uh, but in my nature, that that's not who I am. I'm very introverted. I'd rather be uh, reading a book. I'd rather be in the library. I'd rather be researching. I'd rather be thinking, having a conversation with one or two people. And uh, so that's who I am. So now, Mike, your turn. Oh, it's my turn? All right. Um, it's funny that, that, you know, even though I knew what you'd rolled, it's, it just kind of struck me as you were going over it, that you and I picked the flip side of the same coin. Okay. Because I too picked a dwarf. I was really tempted to go with something big and ridiculous. Like there's a a race called a Goliath or a Minotaur or, you know, a dragon. These are all things that you can pick. And part of me wanted to do that, but I'm like, no, because I thought about dwarves. And dwarves are solid, they are grounded, they are old school, they are, you know, that they are creators and they are builders, and I'm like, there's no way I could be anything but a dwarf. They're of the dirt, my friend. Absolutely. However, the class that I picked, I'm a bard. For those of you who have never played D&D and are curious as to what the heck a bard is, Think of a traveling minstrel. But think of the fact that there's a traveling minstrel whose words and whose music has power to move people and to affect people. That's what a bard is. A bard tells stories. A bard composes poetry. He sings songs. He plays music that moves people, that bolsters people, that hinders his enemies. This is a bard. And I, the more I rolled over it, there's no other way that I could be anything but a bard. In fact, I, I mentioned the group of eight. I, su- I told them that we were doing this, and I told them that I was rolling myself. And I said, I don't know, you know, maybe I should go something holy, be like a cleric. All of them looked at me. And uh, the, my one buddy, Craig, especially, Craig looked at me and says, no, dude, no, no, you're a bard. <laughs> There's a bard with holy tendencies. That's what you are. <laughs> See, I I love telling stories. And unlike Luke, who's happy to you know be in the, the library, if I spend time in the library, it's to find stories, to go out into the market square and be like, look at this thing that I found. Isn't this amazing? I'm the guy who gets up there and tells you a story that you're never going to forget, that you're going to tell your children's children. Not because I'm great, but because the story is that great. Nice. Not because I'm fantastic at telling it. I bring my craft to it. I, you know, I put my spin on it, but it, I'm, I'm a, a lover of great stories. And I, ha- I have fewer things that I love more than to share those stories with other people. So there's no way that I could be anything but a bard. Um... Rather than go through all my little stats... Oh, uh, par- wait a minute. I had to do it. <laughs> you want me to? I will. All right. I'm not very strong. Even though I kind of am in real life, I'm not. I'm, I'm strong-ish. Um, my, my three biggest ones were intelligence, charisma, and constitution. And I'll tell you why I picked constitution for a big one. Because part of it is the physical endurance. And that... It depends on what I'm doing. <laughs> but more than that, I think constitute when I think constitution, I think of the ability to endure hardship, the ability to stand up and to put yourself into places that 
you know, you know, to bolster other people, to, you know, to stand up when other people need it. And so I picked Constitution Hardcore. That's my 16. And Charisma is my 16. Charisma is my how you how how well do you work with others? And so that was my other that was my other 16. Uh, wisdom, I did okay on dexterity. I, I, I almost put a negative on dexterity. That's how much it doesn't apply to me. <laughs> but, um, but I do want to, there's, there's part of the character sheet that I, I like to explore because it really is the, it's what makes your character unique. There's a whole second sheet that talks about mannerisms and appearance and personality traits. This is where, for me, the game goes beyond, you know, one plus one equals two, you know, fighter plus sword equals kill. It goes past that when you start building the character. And so I made different, you know, descriptions of me. Under mannerisms and appearance, this is where I'd be, you know, pretty flat out fun. Balding, but with thick facial hair. He wears thin rim spectacles and always carries a notebook and pen with him. That is under mannerisms and appearance. Yeah, mine would be about the same. <laughs> under personality traits, I put, he is lighthearted and jovial most of the time, quick with a story, but slow to sing. He is a lyricist and storyteller of some renown and has been called by some clerics of Moradin, and that's going to be something that I bring up in a second, to lead meetings in temples throughout the Nentir Vale. See, this is where we have the pro and the con as well because there are deities in this game and in some degree your characters will worship those deities and this is where a lot of people get really fuzzy and be like oh my goodness you're worshiping something that isn't god i'm going to point you back to the the place where i say this is fiction but if you look at a lot of the deities and the reason i picked moradin and i believe that luke you picked moradin as well i did let's look at who moradin is Moradin is the god of the dwarves. If you look at the different names that he has, he is called the All-Father. He is called the Creator. Moradin is a god who, who, is, who celebrates creation. And I'm sorry, to say that that's not part of what the actual god is, is foolish. A lot of what you you break down these multiple deities in this game, this, again, fictional game, if you take a lot of these aspects, they are aspects of God. There's a God, Bahamut, who is a a God of justice and protection. There's there's gods of civilization. There's gods of, of of the woods and of the sea and all this stuff. And you realize that this is a, it's depictions of a sovereign God who is in control, who is a creator, who, who values justice and holiness. I'm sorry, that sounds an awful lot like the true God. And so that's why I, have, I, I can't get away from the fact that of my own, both my position and my passion is to preach the word of God. And so that's why when I ruled me, even though I'm a bard, a storyteller, I can't get away from the faith aspect that drives even my fictional character. Yeah, sounds good, man. Sounds good. And I think it does an accurate representation of you. 
Aw, thanks, Luke. And I think uh, hopefully the two sides of the same coin will uh, will make for a decent show over the uh, coming months. What do you think? I should hope so. We're certainly going to have a lot of fun geeking out for long periods of time and hoping that somebody actually listens to it. Well, Mike, we uh, we were talking before the show. I figure, how are we going to end this thing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, try to figure out how, what are we going to say to close up the show? And we couldn't come up with anything. No. I think Not maybe really. we did somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> isn't that al- isn't that always the way you come up with it as you as you go through it? Yeah, because I I think that's your idea that God is our game master, and uh, you know I think that that's beautiful, man. I think that that is why we do this thing, uh, why we play our games, but also why we we live our faith. And so, man, I think this is a good show. All right, man. We will. Uh, be back again uh, in, uh, I guess, an indeterminate amount of time, probably within about a month or so. That's the thing about new podcasts. Could be anywhere from tomorrow to, yay, we'll figure it out. (laughs) So we invite you to come back and be with us next time. But until then, remember that God is the game master. And no matter how the dice fall, the game goes on.